It's a great joy to be here this morning. We're in the middle of a series called The Gift. And the gift is not about the presents that are under the tree. The gift is about the person of Christ, the person of Jesus, that God gave his one and only son, that out of his great love, he sent Jesus to take our place, the price that we deserved to pay and to step in and to be that gift for us. And so we've been talking about through this series that the life of Jesus is bracketed by two impossibilities. The first is is a virgin's womb, and the second is that empty tomb. It's the the reason for Christmas and Easter. It's, It's the celebration of the fact that God gave us his son Jesus, and it's the celebration of of through the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised him from the dead that he is no longer in the grave and that we too can have new life in Christ. Man, that's an incredible gift, isn't it? If you really think about it, that's an amazing gift that God has given to us. We've been talking through this series, there's a connection between the giver and the gift, between the person of God and the gift of Jesus that we've been given. We've been using this uh, nicely wrapped gift. I didn't wrap this one because I would just put it in one of those fancy gift bags. Um, We've been talking about this gift, right? And, and not that, that there's a baby in here. The baby Jesus would not be in here. We'd have to do something different if there were a baby in here. That would be weird. Um, but it, it's, it's a picture, right? Go with me here. It's a symbol of this idea that God has given us a gift. But the option that you have is will you receive the gift? And then what do you do with the gift that you've been given? It's kind of insulting to the giver when you take the gift and then you don't open it and you put it in the trunk of your car and then you forget it's there until next summer when you're ready to go golfing and you put your clubs in the back of the car and you're like, oh yeah, I still have that gift in here. Well, I should open that. It's insulting to the giver when you, when you receive the gift and then you re-gift it because you don't think it's something that you need. We do this in our culture today. It's this picture of the gift, what, what do you do with the gift that you've been given? See, for some people, unfortunately, we live lives where we don't think we need Christ, where we kind of keep him in, in our back pocket for a time in need. And then we pull him out. Oh, yeah, hey, Jesus, I, I need you. Well, this morning, we're going to be talking about joy. But before we do, let's recap where we've been. The first week, we talked about how because of Jesus, we have the option for adoption, that we are, that God made a way for us to be part of his family, to be his sons and daughters because of what Christ did. We have a heavenly father who made a way for us to be adopted. And the question that week was, will you receive it? You have the option for adoption. Will you receive God's gift to be a part of his family? Last week, we talked about how because of Jesus, we have been given a heavenly hope and it's confident, it's secure. And the question that we asked was, how will you hold on to it? How, how do you hold on to hope? Understanding that it's not earthly hope, that it's a heavenly hope. It's, it's secure, we can be confident in it. It's not the I hope so, it's the I know so. Well, this morning we're gonna be talking about the gift of joy. And if you need a Bible, you can put your hand up. Some of our awesome ushers are around and they, they can give you one. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along. But this morning, we're going to be using a lot of Scripture to look at joy. But before we do, before we dive in, I want to just say that this is, this is one of those messages this morning that um, I'm not really talking 
to you, I'm talking to myself. Um, I, I have to be honest, you, you know, uh, this week has been crazy in preparing for this message. Thinking, knowing that, that man, Sunday we're going to get to talk about joy, and yet this week I really felt like I was struggling to find joy. You ever have those weeks? You know something's coming, you're excited about it, and you're like, I should be happy about this. And you're not. You're just, you, you feel like you're just going through the week. That was this week. It was weird. It wasn't weird. It's not a coincidence because a very real enemy who doesn't want us to talk about joy today, who doesn't want some of you who really are in desperate need of joy to hear what God's word has to say about joy. And so maybe you, like me, had a really rough week. And that's okay. But this morning we're going to look at the gift of joy. What does that mean? How, How do we receive it? So my question for you this week and thinking about the gift of joy, is to look back, look back on past gifts that you've been given. Think back to to Christmases in your childhood years. Think back to the gifts that you first gave to your kids. Think back to the gifts that you've received. What was one gift, maybe a few gifts, that gave you the most amount of joy? Can you remember? Think back. For some, maybe it's been a long time since you've been given a gift that gave you great joy. For me, growing up, I think I'd say very specific gifts. My first bicycle. I remember when I was in first grade getting a Nintendo. thought that was big time. (laughs) I remember getting uh, a, a baseball glove, a brand new baseball glove, and just all winter playing with the baseball glove, waiting, anxiously hoping for spring right, for for warmer weather. What was the best gift that gave you joy growing up? In my young adult years, I think I'd have to say it was more about experiences, getting to go to a Cubs game, getting to go to a baseball game, getting to go out to eat with my family, getting to go to a movie with my dad. It was more about experiences, and, and now as I'm, I'm getting older, we'll use that phrase from last week, as, as I'm getting older, I think um, our focus even shifts from things and experiences to people. You just long to be around family. You long to be in relationship with people. Our physical gifts grow old. The memory of experiences fades, and our loved ones will eventually hurt us. All of these things give us temporary joy. So joy in watching children open gifts. Isn't that fun? Oh my goodness, that's a blast. Some of you got to be a part of that on Wednesday. Um, There are YouTube videos. You could spend hours watching YouTube videos of of children opening gifts and watching their great joy and excitement or watching their great sadness and disappointment. I saw one video. I I won't even tell you how many uh, videos I watched this week. I saw one video where there was uh, a little boy, and he opened a box, and he was apparently hoping for a toy, and he pulls out a sweater, and he just loses his mind. But I wanted a toy. He just keeps crying. I wanted a toy. And as as humorous as that video was, I, I couldn't help but think, like, man, I wonder if his parents thought, you know what? We're poor, and winter's coming, and, and we need to give our son what he needs. And he needs a sweater. He wants a toy. <laughs> but what he got that year was a sweater. And I don't know, my mind just works these ways. I just kind of put myself into the shoes of that boy or his parents, and I start wondering. I start 
thinking. And I, I just allow my imagination to wander sometimes and think, what if, what if something terrible, heaven forbid, happened to that family where they were homeless and he, he just clung to that sweater? I don't know. I mean, we don't really know in a moment what we really need, do we? We might have our hopes set on a toy, but we get a sweater. I don't know about this whole concept of, of Santa either as a new dad. Um, Bethany and I are trying to figure out, like, is Santa real? Sorry, kids, if you still believe in Santa, just blow the lid on this thing. Um, if I'm a dad and I'm going to give my kid, like, the best gift possible, I want it to be for me, not Santa. I want him to know I got you this. Santa can give him, like, a candy cane or something. Seriously, like, what's up with that? I don't know, I just think, like, the gift matters based on the giver. There's a connection between the giver and the gift. And the amount of joy that you have upon receiving a gift can increase when you know who you're receiving it from. When you know the, the, the cost that they went through to get it for you. When, when you know and understand their love and affection for you. And that is something that they think you want, need, will use, be blessed and benefited by. There's a great connection between the giver and the gift. This morning, we also, as we talk about joy, we have to wrestle with the concept of joy versus happiness. Now, a lot of scholars today would, would tell you that there's a huge discrepancy between the two, that happiness is based on external matters, things that happen to you that can affect your emotions, and that joy is this inward, uh, internal emotion, that they're different, that they're, they're, they're different. That, that happiness is superficial and circumstantial, but that joy is, is deep-seated and enduring. And yet, as, as this week, as I, I heard that time and time again, I, I searched scripture, I, I read verse after verse after verse about joy, about happiness, about gladness, about all of these things, and, and so often, they seem to me connected to, to be replaceable. You could swap one out for the other. Joy and happiness in God's word seem to be the same. And I kept thinking, like, am I off on this? Like, is this right? And, and then I found other scholars that talked about Bible translations, that, that there are actually more than 100 verses in Scripture, not paraphrases, but word-for-word translations, that, that literally they use happiness and joy together in those verses, that they're interchangeable. And so I think it's important that we kind of just understand from a biblical context, joy and happiness are one and the same. So I wanted to give us something to hold on to in that joy. What, what does it mean, joy? I found this definition. I, I liked it. I, I felt like it, it fits what we're talking about this morning. Joy is the natural reaction and emotion to the work of God. Joy is, is the natural reaction and emotion to the work of God. And then it had this clarifier, whether, whether promised or fulfilled. If we understand that, that he is the giver and he has given us a gift of his son, Jesus, then joy is our natural reaction, knowing our Father who gives good gifts and having that happiness that comes, it's that emotion of seeing God at work. Maybe you've had a moment where you saw God at work, maybe for the first time where you saw him do something miraculous. 
and you just were overwhelmed with joy, with great gladness. Maybe you wept tears of joy. Maybe you danced a dance of joy. Maybe you cheered and clapped and and sang and shout. Whatever it looks like for you, it's the natural reaction and emotion to the work of God, whether promised or fulfilled. I learned this, the the Greek word for joy is kara. I don't know if I'm saying that right. C-H-A-R-A. And it's closely related to the Greek word charis, which is grace or a gift. See, there's a connection between joy and grace, between the giver and the gift. Kara is, is in Greek, the, the word joy is a normal response to grace. We have joy because of God's grace. And if we understand what grace is, it's something that we get that we don't deserve. We didn't deserve God to send his son to take our place for the price that we deserve to pay for our sin that separates us from a holy God. Jesus did that for us. That is an incredible gift, and it produces great joy. Joy is also a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, and 23, we see this list of, of the fruit of the Spirit, the working of the Spirit in a believer's life, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, and then when he is at work in us, he produces love, joy, peace, which we'll talk about next week, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God at work in us produces joy. Love that. The joy of the Lord, this morning, this is our main idea. The joy of the Lord is the happiness of heart that comes from three things. The first is receiving Christ. The second is abiding in Him. And the third is being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. The joy of the Lord is the happiness of heart that comes from receiving Christ, receiving the gift that God's given, abiding in him, keeping him with you at all times, and being filled with the work of the Holy Spirit. It's Christmas time, and so we celebrate the birth of our Savior, the good gift that God has given us. In Luke 2.10, we see the angels, they appear to to the shepherds, to, to the wise men, to the people of this scene, and they say, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Jesus is the good news who brings great joy, and he's for all people. Let's think back to to Luke chapter one. Turn with me, if you'd like, Luke chapter one. We see this this setup, the story of, of Mary. We see, as we've talked through the past couple of weeks, the angel that appears to Zechariah, Mary's distant family and and his wife Elizabeth that they're going to be with child and they're along in their years and yet we learn that Elizabeth has been barren and then the angel Gabriel appears to Mary in in Galilee she's in Nazareth we we understand the context of Mary's story here that she's been betrothed to be married to Joseph which in those days means that she was legally engaged it's not like engagements today in our culture where, where people can just call them off at any time. It's, it's literally that she's legally engaged. She's committed to marry this man, to, to marry Joseph. But let's just think about the context of, of what's going on here for Mary. Guys, we're going to have to think a little harder because we don't understand 
going through pregnancy. We don't understand those things, even though we try to convince ourselves, yeah, I, I get that. We don't. <laughs> but let's just imagine, think about this, Mary, she's, she's kind of got her life mapped out. She, she's engaged to this awesome guy, Joseph. She's probably planning and dreaming her life ahead of her. And then this angel appears and says, hey, by the way, Mary, you found favor with God, and, and you're going to have a kid, but not from Joseph, from the Lord. And Mary's like, wait, what? Say, say what? Say that again? That's, God, that's not the plan. That's not how this works. Do you understand what, what my family will think? Do you understand what my friends will think? Mary is probably a, a teenager, maybe even 12 do you, have you guys been around teenagers? Whew, I have. And let me tell anyways. Mary's freaking out. Mary doesn't have great joy right now. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> Yet, Mary realizes she has every reason not to have joy. Because the, the path that she thought her life was going to go has now been flipped upside down. You ever have that moment? What do you do then? We see this discussion with Mary, this exchange where, where she's absolutely lost. How, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And, and then this is what the angel explains. He says that, that the, the power of God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born will be called holy. I, I'm sure she had questions about what that meant. What? And then he says, behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age will also conceive a son. As we look at this passage, as we begin to just put ourselves in Mary's shoes for a second and think about what her life was to be and, and the hope that she had of her wedding day and starting a life with Joseph and maybe having kids of their own and now to find out that it's so very different. And yet it's according to God's plan because see, it's not just about Mary, it's not just about Joseph, but it's about something bigger than her. And so then Mary, she, she takes off and she's, got, she's like, I gotta go see Elizabeth. I, I just, I, I gotta go see her. I gotta be with somebody else who's, who's pregnant, who understands, who, I can, who can relate to me, who can listen, who can hear me. I think she's wrestling on this journey to go see Elizabeth and she gets to Elizabeth and she has this conversation, this dialogue with Elizabeth and Elizabeth kind of speaks some truth into her. In verse 45, we saw this last week of, of Luke chapter one, Elizabeth says to Mary, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That, that's, that's this whole idea, right? The natural reaction and emotion to the work of God whether promised or fulfilled, that's exactly what Elizabeth is saying, that it will be fulfilled. It will come to pass. You can have faith in God and you can put your hope in him. Look at Mary's response. Verse 46, you want to have an insight into Mary and where she is? Again, she has every reason not to have joy here. But look at her response. Mary says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, my Savior. 
for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. It's implied with favor, which is what the angel told her. The New Living Translation puts it this way, that he took notice of his lowly servant girl. See, Mary understands her connection, her relationship to God as her father. She aligns herself with his will. Then she goes on and she says in verse, uh, at the end of verse 48, she says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. How hard did you think that was for Mary to say? Do you think that was the first thought that came into her mind? I'm blessed. And not only am I blessed, from now on, everyone for all generations will think of me as blessed. I don't know about you, but if I'm married, that that thought doesn't come into my mind apart from a holy God, (laughs) apart from a living God, apart from having joy as a natural reaction and emotion to seeing him at work. She goes on in verse 49, she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Man, I love this. Mary is such an incredible illustration and example of joy, of of choosing joy in a moment, in a circumstance. Look, this is hard. This is one of those things where it's just easier to, to, to say than it is to do. To have joy, to to choose joy because of of the work of God, of seeing him at work. Last week we talked about Romans 15, 13. And this is a powerful verse. It's, It's my favorite verse probably in all of scripture. And it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with the confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. I love that verse because it helps me. It helps me understand the source of my hope. It helps me understand the joy that is offered to me. It helps greatly. In the ESV, it says this, may, may the God of hope fill you, fill you with, with all joy and peace in believing, in receiving that gift that God's given us. He's the giver He's the source of our hope, of our joy, of our identity, of our peace, of love, of all of these things. Last week I told you of another verse, James 1, 2 through 3. And look, church, I gotta be honest. I'm not liking this verse right now. You ever hear a pastor say that? Probably not, maybe, hopefully. (laughs) I know we've heard Pastor R say it, but this verse is so hard. The more I read this verse, the more I, I, don't, I don't like it because I'm like, God, that's, that, it just, uh, life doesn't work that way. Don't you understand? I'm like, oh yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, okay. What's this say? Count it all joy. Count it all joy. My brothers, when, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy. 
Have you faced trials? Have you faced testing? You have. You've been through hard things. And if you haven't, you will. (laughs) I hate to say it, but there's probably more to come. (laughs) Life's only gonna get worse on this earth. And yet, he says, count it all joy. Look, I wish I could give you some formula of how to do that. I wish that there was like some magical thing that like, you know, when you just, when you just think of this thought that, oh, all of a sudden your emotions change and you have happiness and, and delight and, and joy. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say have joy. He says count it all joy. Consider it joy. Choose joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The NIV says perseverance. That, that in receiving that joy, in, in shifting your perspective to seeing the work of God in a circumstance that's difficult, that's painful, we have to do that to shift our perspective to say, God, what are you doing here? We can cry out to him. We can, we can call out to him. We can be angry and say, God, I don't get this. What are you doing? This doesn't make sense. But I honestly think that's beginning to, to count it joy, to shift our perspective. That we would have perseverance. That, that, that we would have steadfastness. That we would have the ability to keep going, to endure difficulty and count it joy because we know that God our Father wants us to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, he says. That we wouldn't lack anything. I love that. In Hebrews 12, one and two, we see this same picture. If you were to read the whole chapter, a a picture of of a father, God, our, our, our loving Lord, who gives us good gifts. In verse one of Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Catch this, verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, the author of our faith. We talked about that that last week. For who, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do we understand that, that Jesus, he endured? For me, for you. And he counted it joy because of what it meant for us to receive. That's amazing. I don't deserve it. In 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise. That we can go through trials and we can, the end result can be praise? Wow, I need that. that may be found to be the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at, at the revelation of seeing him, 
of seeing him at work, that we would have joy. Then he says in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So again, joy, happiness, it's this natural reaction and emotion to the work of God through trials, through testing, through good times and bad. When we shift our perspective and we see God at work, he fills us with joy, whether promised or fulfilled. Do you know the promises of God? Maybe you're like, Pastor Eric, I need some hope. I need some joy. And I need to be filled in in that verse, Romans 15, 13, that you will be filled with all joy and peace in believing, in understanding the promises of God. Do you know what his promises are? A huge part of that is, is, is looking into his word to see the things that God promises to us. And in believing, to then be filled with joy and peace. You've got to receive the gift that God gave us, the Son Christ In John 15, it talks about abiding in him. See, it's one thing to just receive the gift and set it aside and keep it for a rainy day. But to abide means to remain, to to remain in connection with the gift. It's like that, that, that sweatshirt that in high school you just loved because it was so warm and wonderful that you wore it every day. You, you, you never parted from it despite its smell and your mother's plea. (laughs) It's this remain in me. John 15, let's let's just look at this for a moment. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Wait, we can receive joy by being pruned, by having things cut off? Yeah. Jesus says in verse three, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse four, catch this. Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I in you. Verse five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's an incredible promise catch that? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you if you remain in me. It says, by this, my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Look at verse 11. He says, these things I have spoken, all of this, this idea of remaining in me, I've spoken that you 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy would be full. That is an incredible, outstanding promise that Jesus himself gives us. Do you receive Christ and abide in him and then to be filled with the fruit of the spirit of joy? I think biblically we can see that in all circumstances, we can count it all joy. We can consider it joy, knowing that it's for our good, knowing that it's so that we can be mature and complete, not lacking anything, that we can come to him and we can ask. We can say, God, this is hard and this hurts, but would you help me? Would you give me strength? Would you give me wisdom? Would you give me perseverance? Would you allow me to know and feel your presence? Look, here's the bottom line. I want to give you an acronym that hopefully you can take with you. I didn't find this anywhere. The Holy Spirit kind of just gave it to me this week. Joy, J-O-Y. From now on, I want us to think of joy as Jesus offers you. Jesus offers you love, He offers you adoption. He offers you grace. He offers you mercy. He offers you joy. He offers you forgiveness. He offers you salvation. He offers you hope. He offers you all of these things and more. He offers you security. He offers you to surrender. He offers you correction. Jesus offers you is the joy that we have. And that in receiving and abiding and being filled with the Holy Spirit, we can have tremendous joy in any and all circumstances. I'm going to invite the praise team to come on up. And as we close out this morning, maybe you're like me and you just had a, a, a weird week. Maybe this whole holiday Christmas season is, is just brutal and it's painful for, for many reasons and, and sure, they're, they're valid reasons. We just looked at the example of Mary and how she had things kind of not really go according to her plans. Maybe you can relate to that. And yet Mary rejoiced. And I'm not saying we have to do that right now. But would you just press into God? Would you abide in him? Would you allow his Holy Spirit to to just fill you with joy and peace in believing his promises that joy and happiness would be the natural reaction and emotion to the work of God, whether promised or fulfilled? That we would understand that Jesus offers you exactly what you need, when you need it, whether you realize it or not.